When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I am beyond excited for this episode and I'm filming this at in the afternoon. I like to use natural light and uh, the sun is going to be shining in my face. I've let or left auto white balance on if you're watching this on video. I have my coffee, so it's a bit chaotic, but that's how excited I am. I just want to get into it. So hello, my name is Derek G. It is Derek G Speaks Volumes. And this is one that, I don't know, was a bit instinctual that I wanted to do, which is how to get in to Led Zeppelin. Now, before I get started, I do ask if you enjoy the podcast. I don't do this very often because I forget to do it. If you enjoy the podcast, please rate it on Spotify or Apple Music or wherever. There's usually a function, you can just press stars. It helps. And also, I like to see it and see that those that star count is going up because it means that you're listening. But ultimately, it helps. It helps me have credibility, shows people that you like the show. Anyway, moving on. So... How to get into Led Zeppelin. Why are we talking about that? Well, a few weeks ago, I interviewed Sasha Frey Jones, who, <laughs> I was going to say Sasha Baron Cohen, you know, it's, it's the triple barrel that gets me, the double barrel. And uh, he is a very well-renowned music journalist. And he was talking about like, not caring what other people like, but then, hold on, let me just throw in the clip. I just fucking love Led Zeppelin and I always have and I always will. And I don't, I don't want to fucking hear anything from anyone who doesn't like Led Zeppelin. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> if, you, if you think you like music and you don't like Led Zeppelin, you're a moron. I was sounding very like, I was sounding too one-worldy and I just want to put a little asshole in there. And if I'm honest, I really related to that comment because I have loved Led Zeppelin since I was a teenager. And I feel like Led Zeppelin themselves is not immediately the most accessible group to get into if you have no way to access and get into it, right? So I thought, why not? I've done a, a guide to jazz. I've done a guide to Ruchi Sakamoto. I've done a, a guide to Yves Chuma. Why don't I do one to Led Zeppelin? Because it's older. It's, you'd argue, more obvious. But if you are 15, if you're a 21, hey, if you're you know one of my siblings that doesn't listen to it, then let me allow me to be your gateway to get into it. Now, the question is, why should you get into Led Zeppelin? Because they are one of the most important artists in recorded music history. They are arguably the second or third most important British group, Radiohead and uh Led Zeppelin being interchangeable, what do you think? Why are they important? Because they influenced so much. Led Zeppelin is the prototypical rock band, more so than the Beatles. You know, when the Beatles had their suits and then they moved into psychedelia, I would say that that didn't get mimicked as much as the, the blueprint of a rock star was set in stone by Led Zeppelin. And 
whether you look at Maniskin, whether you look at uh, Wolf Mother, if you look at all these groups that try to evoke rock and roll, right? There's only one group that they're referencing, and it is Led Zeppelin, whether it's the long hair. By the way, if you're watching some video, I was going to put oil in my hair to flatten it. I thought, no, it's a bit of a tribute, isn't it, to uh, the hair. Um, the long, frizzy hair, this way that the kind of screechiness, say Wolf Mother, uh, not a great example, but say Wolf Mother, that kind of high-pitched um, type of singing, the, uh, the kind of combination of masculinity and femininity, the excess, the debauchery, the throwing TVs out the window, um, the way that they dress, the way that they rock is because of Led Zeppelin. It's just true. Now, another reason why, uh, and, and, and also more so than Mick Jagger, I would argue, by a long way, by a long way, that that Mick Jagger influences. You know, they they look influence all of Aerosmith and stuff. Come on, I'm getting excited. Also, I think that if you are not introduced to Led Zeppelin in an accessible way, I think that they run the risk of falling into the category of many heavy metal bands, that heavy rock bands like Motley Crue or Def Leppard. I mean that. And if you are a, a Led Zeppelin fan, you'd be like, what, Derek, what? I don't mean actually. But I think if you were just like a person that listens to Emiliana Torini and the Postal Service, and you looked at Led Zeppelin as an option to listen to, you looked at, you've seen the t-shirts your whole life, you've seen some of the, like how they look, you probably think, ugh, it's like, looks really lame and like this kind of like tropey hard rock rock and roller thing. No, you're wrong. So I think that for some people, it would be a barrier to entry. I also think in my internet existence, which is to say I observe people younger than me, older than me, my age, talking about music and referencing the past. You hear about the Beatles, you don't you hear about The Cure, you hear about The Smiths, you hear about My Bloody Valentine. You don't hear about Led Zeppelin as much because I don't think it's either a, a given and it's obvious or it's not as cool. Um, so I'm here to, uh, you know, do my part, to champagning and campaigning. You know, he isn't talked, Robert Plant, for example, as the, as the front man, uh, arguably the front man, isn't as talked about as Mick Jagger. Everyone knows who Mick Jagger is, you know? I like this sun on my face, it's cool. Um, everyone knows who Mick Jagger is. Not everyone knows who Robert Plant is. If you said it to one in a hundred, like if you said it to a hundred people, less than 50% would know, I would argue. Lastly, I want to just tell you that this is a personal story. If you're looking at me, if you're older than me, or if you're younger than me, and you're looking at this being an accurate Wikipedia page article into Led Zeppelin. Uh, it's not that. And I don't want you to think, uh, how dare this guy, you don't know anything about Led Zeppelin. I Look, I have a, a, a lived experience growing up in the 2000s, discovering it and loving it for the remainder of my life. So that's how I want to approach it. So just prefacing that. Who is this for? Anyone that cares about music history, anyone that cares about music in the late 60s to 70s, who 
wants to understand more about the importance of a group that might not understand it and might not have an entry point to it. If, if you are a fan of Led Zeppelin, this is a bit of a celebration and hopefully you can celebrate it with me, listen to this and enjoy it from a perspective of someone that goes, yeah, hell yeah, they deserve it all because they are the best. So you can enjoy that with me. So in terms of the chapters, we've already gone over one, which is why you should listen to it. We've got the backstory, my story, what I love about them, the members, uh, where you should start, and then Iconic Moments, favorite songs, and some problems associated with them as well. Uh, no, I was going to say, should I say the problems? Should I do the problems now? I don't think so. But, you know, some people see them as problematic. So, you know, it's worth addressing at the very least. So the backstory. Uh, Led Zeppelin actually started in the mid-ish 60s because there's a group called the Yardbirds with Jeff Beck and Eric Clapton and and that revolved with, uh, with a few different artists that included Jimmy Page, the guitarist for Led Zeppelin. And at one point, basically the band had broken up, but Jimmy Page was still around. And he took on the mantle for the remaining tour of the Yardbirds and he called them the new Yardbirds. And he collected some artists together and uh, including the members, the current members, and, and they call themselves the new Yardbirds. But uh, legally, they were not permitted to do that. So they were only the new Yardbirds for a short period of time. The Yardbirds, I don't mind. They've got a few cool songs, including Kept a Train a Rollin', um, which was in a really cool 60s film, the 60s film about the photographer. I forget the name, but that's a really great film. There's a live performance of, the, of, of Jimmy Page and the Yardbirds in that film. But anyway, I digress. Led Zeppelin um, it, it is many defined as the first hard rock, heavy rock heavy metal group. Uh, and, you know, when they put out their first record in 69, uh, but singles came out in 68, you know, this is the time of Velvet Underground, it was the time of the White Album, it was the time of, you know, later Motown, you know, a lot of experimentation, a lot more drugs coming out, still very sweet sounding. And then these dudes come along, these British foursome, who went on to produce eight albums, be one of the highest selling artists of all time and um, comprise of a very, very powerful foursome, which includes Jimmy Page on lead guitar and John Paul Jones, both of whom uh, were session musicians prior to uh, joining the group. And I believe, and this is not part of my research, but I, I, I'm fairly confident in saying this. I believe that they uh, were 30 and older, which means it's like an anomaly in terms of, I always think about like young artists and young music and kind of that being an important thing because like music and the energy of music comes from the youth and not people that are old and have mortgages and, uh, and uh, health plans. But because they were session musicians, it started later. And um, if you listen to obviously the guitar sounds or the bass sounds of Jimmy Page and John Paul Jones, very skilled and 
knowing that they're session musicians, I think is an important bit of information. As well, you have Robert Plant on lead vocals, tambourine and harmonica, and you have John Bonham on drums. They were inspired by blues, the blues, Howlin' Wolf and artists like that. Obviously, rock and the emerging sounds of distorted rock and roll, and they were inspired by drugs. <laughs> I mean, anyway, so they're inspired by a lot of other things, but I think that uh, they're also inspired by uh, folk, Celtic folk songs and folklore. And, um, you know, one could look at that as a bit lame, but uh, I'll get into that later. But that was also what they were inspired by and 12-string and guitars and mandolins and things like that. I interrupt this wonderful podcast to shout out the sponsor, TurntableLab.com, who have been sponsoring for a little while now, every other week, in case you're wondering. They are the trusted source for audio gear and records for the past 20 years. And uh, what I love about them is that you can go there for anything in related to your hi-fi needs. If you want a, some JBL L100s, yeah, go get them. I was going to say, yeah, boy, I did already. Or you could get a needle if you broke it, if you could get a slip mat, or you could get some records as part of the lab, which is their dynamic online record store with over 100,000 records. Imagine having all those. Do you think I could, uh, could, you think I could uh, build one? I think I've probably got a few hundred. Long way to go. So you can take advantage of their four or more deal, which automatically gets you 10% off when you purchase four or more records. So you can check them out at turntablelab.com or you can go to turntablelab.com forward slash Derek, for some tasty selections of things that I would choose if I was to buy some new turntable equipment if I was in the market right now, which I might be, to be honest. Some 100s, maybe. Back to the episode. Let's talk about my story, shall we? So I would have, as everyone does, you come across Led Zeppelin just in the ether in life just like you do the Beatles, just like you do Motown. You just hear it. You can't avoid it in some sense, you know? And I first came across them in a serious way when I was about 15 or 16. Two things happened. One, the White Stripes, as I talk about often, was the my band, was my band when I was in high school. The one, my, the one that was mine, the one that was special to me and no one else, like as in like that I knew or my family or whatever. And articles were written about them and they were talking about, ah, you know, they're a mixture of uh, punk and Nirvana and Led Zeppelin. And I was like, oh, you know, really, I'd love to listen to all of these and learn more about them. And so I listened. I didn't really understand the Led Zeppelin reference at the time. I understand it now because Jack White's kind of very high-pitched screechy, not that Robert Plant is screechy, but voice is kind of Robert Plantish. So I get that. That was one entry point. It was like, my favorite band is inspired by potentially Led Zeppelin. So I want to hear it. Secondly, I joined music class uh, in my later years of high school as one of the subjects I was going to perform my uh, final classes to get my grades. And um, everyone was listening to either Jimi Hendrix, Led Zeppelin, or Metallica. 
And so you just kind of have to. Everyone's like, how are you not listening to this? This is what you do if you want to play guitar or bass or whatever. You learn these artists and you obsess over these artists. So I did. And that was my entry point into Led Zeppelin. Now, I, you know, at that point in life, I was like, you know, buying the CDs. I was um, reading everything I could about them. And then obviously you had like Rolling Stone articles and and best guitarists of all time and that sort of thing. And I was swept up in the world. And safe to say that when you hear songs, because many people classify, nerdy people classify Led Zeppelin as AOR, album-oriented rock, also called adult-oriented rock, which is to say that they're not love me, do, I want to hold your hand, um, come together type singles. They're like these winding, long, complicated songs that aren't meant for the radio. And so I never heard Hold or Love. I never heard Dazed and Confused. And then when you press play on these songs and they are, you know, a blunt force to the head, as well as having these really long kind of psychedelic, you know, uh, jammy session sections of the song, you know, in the same time as Pink Floyd, you know, the, 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 these like dreamy outer space explorations with a song. And if you're a kid that is interested in music, you just kind of go, what? I only knew songs as like structured and with choruses and hooks and outros. And now we've like, we're four minutes into like some sort of jam. And then they go back to the main theme. Blew my mind. So what do I love about Led Zeppelin? The, I've made a list. <laughs> the combination of virtuosity I think is really important because uh, there's four members, you know, like I said, two session musicians. Um, the combination of all of them together, which, uh, hmm, I'm thinking whether I should skip this and go on to the next thing and come back to this. The combination of all of them together makes this group so powerful because you look at many groups, I think that not every artist in that group stands out or stands alone. I think it's like you've got the front man, you know, Novoselic, is that his name from um, Nirvana? Isn't like Dave Grohl and I can't believe I said his name, that name first, and Kurt Cobain, right? But I think the strength of Led Zeppelin is that each artist is like the peak one of the greatest in their category. And you know I don't like ranking, but I mean like they're just phenomenal artists. They're just like, uh, if you want someone to play drums for you, if you want someone to play bass for you or keyboards, if you want someone to sing for you, they you could do a lot worse than these incredible artists. I also think they're so powerful as a foursome because, you know, uh, the, the the Beatles were four too, um, but when you think about Stones and like traditional rock groups, you have, take Metallica for instance, you have a lead guitar, a rhythm guitar, a bass and drums, whereas you only had a guitar, one guitar, one bass, one drums and a singer. 
um, and they produce more sound and more violence than most bands. Not violence in a bad physical way, but just aggression in a beautiful way. What am I talking about? I also love um, their kind of fluidity. Really, I mean that. Um, I don't think, I don't know much about their sexuality beyond the kind of controversies or, or rumors, but I think that there was a very strong femininity and sexuality what, to what they were doing, how they dressed, how they moved, how they played, which was cosmic and a bit like ethereal. There's some sort of magic to what they do, which I think is really special. They're also a, you know, whilst they're hard rock and they've got some like really, really crazy riffs like Black Dog, for instance, uh, they're a jam band because they're so talented that they can just kind of riff for 20 minutes and it'd be really enjoyable. And I think that like most artists of that time, not many people were able, were able to do that to the extent, you know, you've got Jimi Hendrix and stuff, but, you know, it started to get a lot more structured after this. And many people would argue that Led Zeppelin, you know, led to the excess of, like, glam rock with, like, Van Halen and not that they were glam, but, like, crazy guitar solos that were way too long, over-the-top kind of over-sexualized rock and roll. And yeah, they did. But I think they were the originals of that and there's something to be said about that. They were also uncompromising. They don't. They didn't like doing too many interviews. They still don't. They're not out here selling out. They're not out here being the Stones. And um, they were quite private, which meant that they let the music speak for themselves. They weren't, weren't focused on singles. They weren't a pop group. They didn't want to be a pop group. And I think that that is a really respectable thing for an artist's credibility, especially when they uh, don't see it necessary to do all that stuff. We don't know too many strong opinions about Jimmy Page or, or uh, Robert Plant because they keep to themselves for the most part. A funny, funny, funny thing that the 1975's um, Matty Healy said not that long ago. He said, the thing about me is that I do interviews to promote an album. Whereas the thing about Liam Gallagher is he does an album to promote a series of interviews. <laughs> Fantastic, brilliant, funny. Uh, and uh, it's true. A lot of people are out there. I would argue that Matty Healy is also out there promoting the interviews. But... Um, to promote themselves and to promote interviews and not to promote the music, whereas Led Zeppelin was all about the music. I think they are original. Um, when you think about the titans of the time, um, Pink Floyd being a lot more psychedelic, uh, Velvet Underground being a lot more subversive. These guys were like, you know, what Queen wanted to emulate in many ways is like this, like, um, mythical rock. Mythical, like I said, there's some Celtic folk song influences, some iconography that they referenced, a lot of different folklore as well. Lastly, I think that because of this originality and this beauty, they ultimately, there is a complexity to their artistry that um, goes beyond just uh, the average, you know, Hot for Teacher by Van Halen, for instance. They don't do stuff like that. They do um, a lot more uh, 
artistic more than commercial work. So that's what I love about them. But let's go on to the next chapter, which is getting to know the, mem- the members. For those who are unfamiliar, when I said that uh, Robert Plant was the leader, I think there's ostensibly two leaders. There is Robert Plant and Jimmy Page. And I'm going to start with Jimmy Page because I think he is actually technically the leader. Jimmy Page is the guitarist, uh, the, the session musician. He seems quite tall, quite lanky. Um Cool as hell. Like, if I wanted to be a rock star, I'd be Jimmy Page. Um, Known for playing his Gibson Les Paul. I'm sure that Slash from Guns N' Roses was inspired by Jimmy Page and the uh, Sunburst Les Paul that he played to play that. He is the lead songwriter and he is also the soul of the band. Um... He can play guitar solos that kind of take you to outer space. He's very experimental in his uh, guitar playing, but could also write these incredibly wild solos. If you are not aware of his experimentation, I think he, in his first album, played a his uh, Fender Telecaster with a uh, violin bow to get lots of like droney, uh, really elongated, screechy sounds. He also had a, he was the famous, famously known for his double neck Gibson SG, 12 string neck, and then six string neck, which he played for Stairway to Heaven. He also played, you know, uh, mandolin. He also, he, he was just pushing the boundaries of, um, what you could do with the electric guitar, similarly to Jimi Hendrix, but in a different way. Jimmy Page also, I don't know, he, he, he the way he dressed was, uh, yeah, very effeminate. They often wore women's clothes. Um, and it's just a cool, cool, very quiet, softly spoken, doesn't really sing. I don't think ever sung on a song, but was the main songwriter. After that, you've got Robert Plant. Robert Plant, is the heart of the band. Uh, if if Janis Joplin, if you know her voice, was a man, or if, uh, uh, or if um, Robert Plant was a woman, <laughs> I don't know. Um, they, they have a similar kind of delivery, which is can be quite delicate. When he's delicate, it's almost a bit lower, but when he's really expressive, it's really high. And aside of playing... Um, singing. He also played the harmonica and the tambourine, but also the lyricism was very fun and abstract and a very evocative of these like mystical worlds, which I do love. And I know that my wife loves um, Robert Plant. I think that he's just, he oozes, oozes that sexuality that I think a lot of rock stars try to emulate through, you know, the shirt buttoned down. And I think during that time for me, like not during the time like I was there, I feel like it was a lot more like feminine as opposed to I'm a sex god. Now, I am surely wrong if you were like 16 years old and you saw Robert Plant, he would be a sex god, whatever. But like, I don't know. I just feel like nowadays rock stars that try to do it are like I am doing this just because 
it makes me sexy as opposed to like kind of pushing the boundaries of what uh, being a rock star was in that day, at that age, which I think is a different thing. After that, you have John Paul Jones, who I grew up in a musical family, the bass player and keyboardist, who was inspired by a raft of different people, including Phil Upchurch, who's an incredible, incredible bass player um, and, and composer. Um, John Paul Jones has had a life after he was in, um, come on, am I going to remember it? Um, the band with Josh Homm um, and Dave Grohl. Uh, so he's had a, a life beyond, but he can play some really incredible bass lines. I actually played um, the bass line off Led Zeppelin II. I forget the name. It will come to me for my one of my major last, like my major pieces for my end of year, you know, year twelve performances. Um, that's how good the bass lines were. He's also a, a very, very talented pianist and keyboardist. So when you think about the textures and layers within Led Zeppelin, it's kind of underrated that John Paul Jones was behind that. Lastly, have John Bonham. Uh, before I get onto that, the last three are still alive. Uh, do they talk? Not that often. Do they... Uh, Reunite, reunite. They have in the past, although they have had their falling outs because Paige and uh, Paul got back together. Paul? No, Paige and uh, uh, Plant. Sorry, kind of mind, mind blank. Paige and Plant got back together, and there was a story that John Paul Jones was like thanking everyone in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame speech. And he's like, yeah, thanks guys for remembering my number this time to invite me to this. Woo. So they have collaborated in the past or reunited with um, John Bonham's son, which I'll get to, um, but they don't, these three living members seem like they're very happy and they don't need to reunite and they're quite old as well. So there's no need to reunite, but they did in the past for a series of like one-offs. John Bonham is the last artist passed away and that's when the group broke up uh, from an accidental asphyxiation from uh, his alcohol abuse. Uh, to say basically he uh, choked on his own vomit after a huge night on the way to a studio session or something like that. Also an incredible, incredible, incredible drummer. And I don't know much about drums, but he, when you listen to his stuff, he's inspired by everyone from Ginger Baker, from Cream. They're kind of like pittery, pattery, uh, blues, rock drumming. To jazz drummers like Max Roach. There's a real like experimentation with the drums that I particularly love. If you listen to the uh, live version of Moby Dick, he plays drums for a good 20 minutes before anyone comes back. And it's really fun and really um, a great display in the virtuosity of a drummer. Those are the artists for your context. Next up, where to start with Led Zeppelin? I would recommend if you were, sometimes I liken myself to almost like the, the the clerk or the person at the front desk of a uh, record store or something <laughs> speaking to a 13-year-old. Hey, kid, this is what you got to do. If I was to get into Led Zeppelin, I would say start with Led Zeppelin 1. I know that sounds obvious. It's their first album. But 
I think contextually what one needs to recognize is that Led Zeppelin 1 came out in early 1969, um, around the time as, um, you know, uh, Dark Side of the Moon is out and um, Abbey Road was coming out, um, Pet Sounds was out, and you have this group that was really long fuzzy hair that was playing a guitar with a bow that was heavily inspired by the blues but they were like cream eric clapton's cream except darker right and this is still formulating their sounds track two i think it is is babe uh i'm gonna leave you don't tell me i got that wrong please don't tell me i got that wrong since I've been loving you, babe, I'm going to leave you a uh, different album, right? Um, what I love about that album, it's like, it's a blues song. Blues. What I love about that song is that it's a blues song that is so sexy and slow and evocative and I think is presenting what Led Zeppelin was going to become. I think when I heard Dazed and Confused from this album for the first time, I was completely rocked. I'd never heard anything like it. Now, did you know that Dazed and Confused by Led Zeppelin is a cover? Now, I didn't know that until I was researching this episode. Turns out, for those playing at home, that it was actually that it was actually written by a person, a net. It was actually written by an artist called Jake Holmes in 1967. And when the Yardbirds featuring Jimmy Page were the new Yardbirds, they were adopted this song and started to uh, transpose it and change it and turn it into what it then became, Led Zeppelin's Dazed and Confused. Now they kept the general bass line and some of the melody, but then changed a lot of it and is one of Led Zeppelin's most famous songs. And I did not know for many decades that it was actually a cover. Now, the interesting thing about it is that Jake Holmes actually went to get credit for this, went to get uh, his royalties for it. They didn't reply in the 80s and eventually settled out of court uh, for an unknown sum. Where when uh, Days and Confused is now credited, the credit is, get this, Jimmy Page, inspired by Jake Holmes. But if you listen to Dazed and Confused by Jake Holmes, it's kind of the same song. So crazy. Anyway, start with Led Zeppelin 1 because it's formative in terms of a blues rock experimental group that was kind of um, quite sexual in their expression. And when you listen to other albums from 1969, very, very, very different. Led Zeppelin 2, I would head to next. Do you know why? Because Led Zeppelin, <clears throat> because Led Zeppelin 2 came out in the same year in 1969, like September or something in 1969. Can you put, imagine putting out two iconic rock records in a year? And six months on from the last release, Led Zeppelin 1, they are now fully formed, fully formed as a group to the point where they have Songs like Hold On Love, their arguably most famous song with their most famous breakdown, iconic riff, iconic, iconic, very original song. What It Should Never Be, Ramble On, Lemon Song. These tracks in the album 
are all just incredible. And I think if when when we look when I look at those songs, Lemon Song, Ramble On, What Is and Should Never Be, they are all and Hollow Love. They have a distinct personality, which is almost um you know, literature in a sense. It's like they're like little novels. Um, they they are inspired by that kind of like there's like those Celtic elements to it. There's these hard rock riffing elements to it. There's the kind of like jam band experimentation to it as well. And you kind of get the full range of their capability. I would say after that, like obviously big albums after that, Led Zeppelin three. For their biggest selling one is that it's been for, I think, Physical uh, Graffiti, House of the Holy. You can listen to all of those, but if you want more of a taster after that, then I'd probably recommend going for their best of because, like, what I think is interesting about Led Zeppelin, like I said, their sound is so in the ether that you might, if you're not a Led Zeppelin fan, not know any of their songs and then press play on the best of, and then you'll hear songs like Cashmere, you know, and you'll be like, oh, I know this song. You know, there's just songs that have existed in popular culture that, you know, whether it's, um, you know, because Kashmir was like the theme song for Godzilla or something like that, right? Um, You'll hear all those recognizable big cinematic rock pieces and you can get a sense of their full range, including things like Immigrant Song and Celebration Day. And, you know, I think... Sometimes best ofs are really good tasters. I had the best of when I was a kid on CD and that was everything to me. Don't be afraid of best ofs because they're not albums, you know. Best ofs these days are playlists though, which is kind of like less sexy, but it's still it's the same same thing. After you listen to the best of, I would listen to, I highly recommend that you actually listen to a live recording. Um, there's one called How the West Is Won. I believe you can watch the concert on streaming services. You can get on DVD, but who watches DVDs? Um, I feel like the visual package of Led Zeppelin is really important. If you weren't there, which I wasn't, believe it or not, getting an experience of how they were live is really cool because the way Robert Plant is and how he moves, the way that um, John Bonham drums, the way that kind of like John Paul Jones just stands in the corner, does his thing, the way that... Uh, Jimmy Page bows his guitar and performs and kind of writhes. I think the visual element to Led Zeppelin is really important. But as well as that, uh, their their jam band style means that they're playing for, you know, these really long extended solos for so long and that it, it becomes its own, like, incredible experience. And I think that you should check that out. How the West Was Won was recorded at the peak of their powers in 1972 when the biggest artists in the world were the Rolling Stones, Black Sabbath, Beach Boys, America, Carlos Santana or Santana. And um, it's a stadium show. It's a big show and it just sounds epic, you know. Um, wish I got to see that, you know. If you ask me what I do with a time machine, that's what I'd be doing. <laughs> Go to see Led Zeppelin. That's a good answer. One day if someone asks me that, I'm going to say go see Led Zeppelin in 1972. Some of their iconic moments um, I thought would be worth uh, highlighting. Number one, 
Jimmy Page and his double neck guitar playing Stairway to Heaven. Double neck Gibson SG, uh, you know, strumming the sparkling 12 strings, getting into that um, extended solo off Stairway to Heaven. Incredible. There's a black and white. Next one would be the black and white performance of Dazed and Confused, where Jimmy Page is bowing his Telecaster. Very cool. When you think about the time that that came out, it would have been like nails on a chalkboard to some people. But to me, it was like a revolutionary to have seen in a video. <laughs> Uh, they are the group that is known for throwing the TV out the window at a hotel and trashing the hotel. Like I said, the prototype for rock and rollers. You know, if you're not smashing a TV and trashing whole floors of hotels, then you're not a rock band. And I think that Almost Famous and the group from um, Stillwater, I think they're called, from that film, I think was very much inspired by Led Zeppelin with all the groupies, all the debauchery. You know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I think sex, drugs, and rock and roll is basically Led Zeppelin. You, I think another iconic moment is uh, Stairway to Heaven being a 12-minute album track that became one of the most, if not the most, requested song of all time. Wasn't a single. Uh, wasn't meant to be something that was heavily requested. But is the best song ever. You know, I was listening to the car the other day. I'm like, it's still, I don't even, I don't even think it's silly to say it still, it still goes. Like, it's incredible. And um, I love that as a law that it's like people wanted to hear it. And it's like, this is 12 minutes, man. Can you imagine that these days? Like Central C's Doja is like a minute and a half. <laughs> Can you believe that? Um, another thing, another iconic moment you should check out is uh, the Rain song performed by... Jimmy Page and Robert Plant at a thing called Unleaded, a performance with the London Metropolitan Orchestra. Jimmy Page on 12-string guitar, Robert Plant seated, an orchestra. It is a, a magical, magical performance that uh, really crystallizes them as a duo and how powerful they were as a duo many years after Led Zeppelin had officially ended. Some favorite songs for you to to check out would be maybe I have to make a playlist. If there's a playlist in the show notes, I've made a playlist. I probably will. The rain song, beautiful uh, acoustic guitar string uh, performance. Dazed and confused because it blew my mind as a teenager. Since I've been loving you, and babe, I'm going to leave you. Both very sexy blues songs. The Lemon Song and Ramble On, really uh, kind of like rustling, rattling, train-like um, virtuoso type songs. Tangerine is excellent from Led Zeppelin 3, I think, uh, which is, if you want to show someone a song that sounds like 1970 or whenever that came out, that's the song you play, I think. It sounds like that to me, anyway. Uh, hold on, love. Obvious. I can't quit you, babe. Out in the tiles. Bron E R Stomp. I don't know how to pronounce that, so don't shoot me. Um, I never learned how to pronounce it. Uh, no quarter. No quarter is another one of those songs that you don't know, but you know. Moby Dick, the ocean, cool kind of groovy songs. Trampled underfoot, and obviously Stairway to Heaven, the greatest rock song ever. Um, yeah, full stop. Better than just, it's just the best.
let's end with the problems, okay? We need to acknowledge them. Now, there is a uh, definite narrative. I'm not a defender that the members, I don't know how many, some of them were basically pedos, to which people have said that some of the members had slept with underage groupies during their time. It's not excusable in any context. It isn't great <laughs> and is something that will be a mark on their careers, whether it's true or not, whether anything happened or not, whether anyone is uh, charged or not. I think that that is definitely a black spot on their name, for sure. And kind of lives on in like the lore of um, rock and roll history. They're also known as being quite divisive and, you know, having irreconcilable differences, um, you know, kind of. Obviously, after John Bonham died, they're kind of like, there's problems with John Paul Jones and the other two. And then I think that they were going to go on tour, but then the, the two leads had issues and couldn't get along either. Um, one thing... They're accused of being Satanists and, the, and like if you played, they would have them backwards. They're like something, something, Satan or something. But I don't, I don't think that that's true. I think that's just a bit silly. Um, lastly, in my personal opinion, is that I don't think that their visual art, as in the cover art, was ever great. I think it almost because they went down this Celtic route because, because or route, if you will, uh, because they went down this kind of like mythical leprechauns, <laughs> not quite, style. I think that their covers are mostly hideous. Led Zeppelin 1 with the uh, the uh, Zeppelin, the Hindenburg, is okay. They're named after um, someone saying that they that this band is going to fail like a lead balloon. Um and then they were kind of be called Led Zeppelin, L-E-A-D, and then they changed it to L-E-D because they th thought people would call them Lead Zeppelin. I love Lead Zeppelin. Um, and then Led Zeppelin 2, it's this like brown cover, ugly. Led Zeppelin 3 is a bit, I think probably my favorite cover. It's like almost stickers on a page, but it's not, I think it's quite pretty. Uh, Led Zeppelin 4 is also ugly with like this kind of like, window or as a picture of picture frame i can't remember but ugly as well house of the holy designed by storm Thorgerson, is also iconic and also ugly uh physical graffiti which is an apartment block is not bad you know it just goes on i think that their art has done them a disservice and i think that you know when you've got Arguably, you know, you've got covers like Abbey Road and you've got covers like Dark Side of the Moon and then you have this ugly brown cover. It's like, dudes, what are you doing? You needed a creative director. You guys were not the ones to do this. So listen to the playlist. Enjoy Led Zeppelin. Take your time with it. And um, I recommend listening to Led Zeppelin in the car because I think that moving and listening to Led Zeppelin just kind of adds something to it because you can't see them live. So you may as well kind of get some fresh air as you're, as you're listening to it. But I hope that helps. I will do from time to time some, you know, how to get into acts. When I'm particularly passionate about it or inspired by it, essentially this podcast is a like fandom podcast for me. Um, but hopefully that energy has come across to you. I don't think there's an appendix to this today, 
But I hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you got it this far, please, please, at the end of this, uh, rate it somewhere. Let me know if you get into it. Let me know if you uh, this helped you get into them. Until next time, I, I have definitely spoke volumes today. This is Derek G Speaks Volumes. See you next time.